Well, good morning, everyone. You may have a seat. It's great to be with you. It is uh, beginning of January here, January 8th, so I need to know how many of you are uh, still holding strong on your New Year's resolutions eight days in? Well, you are an ambitious group. What an ambitious group. There's four of you. All right, so how many of you have already failed then? Okay, good. So we're goal setters too, apparently. All right. Wow. Well, you know... (laughs) Anyway, so it, you might be like me, and, and I'm kind of one of those people that I don't necessarily like to set New Year's resolutions. I think one of the, the problems with them is because as soon as you set them, sometimes I feel like I'm only setting myself up for failure, or if I share them, it's just like ammo someone can use against me. And, and especially, you know, any of you who are married, you know, if like you share your resolutions with your wife. You just know it's coming back at some time, right? Like, I I thought one of your resolutions was to be more romantic this year. You know, what's going on? How are you doing with that? Um, So I like to um, not make so many or at least not share them. So uh, (laughs) it's a good way to avoid um, having to be held accountable. But anyway, so, uh, (laughs) but I know one thing with resolutions. So I don't often do it, but I know that one of the number one resolutions people make is, anyone guess? Some about health, right? Yeah, so there's health and money is, is usually the two big ones. But so health is one of those. And I'm not one who ever really makes health resolutions. And even though last year, I even, throughout the year, I said, okay, 2016, I'm not, I'm not worried about my health. I mean, I'm pretty active. I play basketball a couple times a week. And I don't think I eat too poorly. Um, but, and I really said, I don't really care. But so this um, holiday season, I was up in Seattle where all of our family lives and I was in my mother-in-law's house and I was in the bathroom and when I was leaving I noticed she had something on the floor that we don't have in our house. Yeah, it is. It's a scale. There's a reason we don't have them in our house, okay? So we had one and I was like, well, let me just see. I mean, I'm a fit guy. So I went and stood on the scale and I looked at it and then I got off and I took off my shoes and all my clothes and then got back on there again just to see, you know, I thought I must have pretty heavy jeans on. And so I got back on there and I realized that there was three numbers displayed that have never been in an order I've ever seen when I was standing on a scale. In particular, the middle number was a new, it was new territory for me. (laughs) And, and, And so I looked at that and I thought, okay, now I don't like to make New Year's resolutions. I don't need to make a goal about this, but that number has got to change. That number's got to change. So I started thinking, okay, I, I, I'm going to 2017. I still have two days to eat whatever I want. And then I actually, because there was football games on the second, I said, no, it's starting the third. I'll eat whatever. I'll get healthy again. So this week I said, I'll, I've got to do something about those three numbers. And, and, and for me too, again, it's not that I eat super unhealthy. It's just, I know for me, I eat too much. I just enjoy food. I love food. And and okay, on Friday nights, I like to eat a whole pizza and wash it down with Mountain Dew. But other than that, that's not that, it's my cheat day, okay? It's not a big deal. But I thought maybe this year cut down to half a pizza. But, um, but I looked at that and I think, so I have to have a goal about that to change it. Not a resolution, but a goal. But now let me tell you something. That for me, honestly, doesn't motivate me very long. It really doesn't motivate me very long because I don't think about those numbers very often. But now, a couple days later, I was on a plane from Seattle back to San Diego. And when I was sitting on the plane, the entire flight, I had to keep adjusting my belt because there was just a little added padding down there. And for the first time in a very long time, I was thinking, this is uncomfortable. 
this little belt. My wife said for women, that's because it's called a muffin top. For guys, it's love handles. I know, I don't know why. But it was hanging over. And I was like, I, can't, I don't want that anymore. And I realized for me, the, no, the numbers on the scale were not motivating. It didn't give me a purpose. But not having to buy new jeans this year gave me purpose. It gave me a purpose. I said, I didn't, I, my kids grow out of their clothes every three days. I can't be growing out of my clothes. I'm past that age. And so now I have purpose to stay at this goal. And, and I realized when we have a purpose, we can follow our plans. Without the purpose, you... Now, if I was a good preacher, I would say, with a purpose, you can persevere on your plan, but I'm not going to do that for you. But, so, but we need a purpose to stick to our plan. Now, let me tell you something else that happened. A couple days later, we, I'm on the um, Encinitas Little League board. And, and so we had a board meeting. We hosted it here at the church. And we had a board meeting, and, and someone came to the meeting, and she brought... I brought it here for you, because I had... She brought this. It is... A big tray of gourmet cookies. Now, I didn't think it was very nice of her to bring a big tray of co- gourmet cookies. And she did something else. When she left, you, can, you might see this, but there's, most of them are left. And then she put it in my office. So I'll just leave these here with you. And I just said, Satan, get behind me. What are you thinking? <laughs> so she left these cookies there. Now, if I didn't have a purpose, if I didn't know what my purpose was, these cookies, see, last year I'd say, you know, these, I can, eat, I can throw down this tray in like two days. No big deal. There's oatmeal raisin cookies here, which to me are like carrots. They're like the same thing. It's health food. Oatmeal and raisins together. So I have this now in my office like two days after I said, I've got to drop about 10 pounds. Now, that's not fair to leave that in my office. And I looked at that, and, and I thought, I'm going to get some morning coffee. You know what goes really well with morning coffee? Yeah, it totally does. Like four or five gourmet cookies. You know what I'm saying? It does. It goes really well with your morning coffee. And so I got back, and I started looking and saying, well, there's four different flavors. you got to try them all, right? <laughs> And then I remembered, my purpose is I, I want to fit in my clothes for another month. And that purpose helped me walk past these cookies. They're still here. They're intact. In fact, this front row here, you're going to eat them when we're done here today. <laughs> High school guys are like, well, that's, that tray? Yeah, that's easy. No problem, right? Now, this next couple weeks, I'm really excited about something here. Because it's a new year here, even at Seacoast. And we're going to be talking about our purpose, our reason for existing as a church. Now, sometimes when you talk about purpose at a church, you start thinking we're in business mode, right? Oh, we're talking about a purpose statement and, and vision and all this stuff. And yeah, 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 yeah. Just tell me, you know, give us some good music, some good preaching, take care of my kids and let me go on my day. But see, the purpose helps us understand why we do what we do. And our purpose is why we exist as a church. And the purpose is what God is calling us to. And the purpose helps us as a church not see a tray of cookies. This is metaphor now. (laughs) A tray of cookies that sometimes we will say, you know what, I know our purpose is to reach people and to help people discover life in Christ. But we live in Encinitas and that's really hard. There's a lot of people who don't want to find life in Christ. 
There's a lot of people around here who don't really care, and it's tough enough to try to live out our own faith, let alone try to reach others, try to build each other up. It's hard enough. Brian, why don't we just say, our, why don't we just sit around and eat some cookies for a while? Why don't we just fill our minds with knowledge and just don't call us to the hard stuff? Just for a little while. Just one tray. Even the oatmeal raisin ones, they're pretty good. But see, when we understand our purpose, this tray isn't going to distract us. Because it's going to distract us from time, but it's not going to keep us off course. Because we're going to remember that God's calling us to something bigger. So I'm, I'm very excited about these next few weeks. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take three weeks to remind ourselves of our purpose. And then beginning January 29th, we're starting a series called Converge. And it's Life Where Heaven Meets Earth. It's a study about Jesus' statements about the kingdom of God. Because we believe if we understand Jesus' worldview, that's going to shape the type of church we want to be. Now here's one thing that applies to all of us. On January 29th, we're going to begin groups called Converge Groups. We're asking our current life groups to do this, and we're launching a few more life groups. So that everyone has an opportunity for those eight weeks, it's only eight weeks, to study together so as a community, we understand what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God is among us and how we live out those kingdom principles and how that will shape our future as a church. Okay, enough of that, but that's coming up. I want you to hear about that. But for the next couple of weeks, I'm excited because we're talking about our purpose, what God is calling us to. These are the kind of things that wake me up in the morning. It's the kind of things when I'm in the shower, I'm thinking, God, how can we help more people discover life in Christ? God, how can we strengthen more marriages? How can we strengthen our youth and our kids and help them have a vibrant faith that's going to last? Because our purpose is to help people understand what it means to follow Jesus. So I'm excited to talk about this. So let me just, let's jump right in, but first let's pray. God, we thank you again for today. I thank you that you love us, that you care about us. I thank you that, God, you give us purpose to our plan. That, Lord, we're not existing just wandering out here trying to find our way, but you've called us to something. And, God, I pray that we could be the type of church that follows you and that experiences life that comes only from you and that helps others experience that life. And, God, let it be for you and for your name, not ours. So we give you this now and teach us as we study today. In your name, amen. So I'm going to jump, run through a couple things today. And again, if you're not someone who likes vision and purpose and statements like that, that, put that aside. We're talking about what God has taught us in Scripture. Okay, but the first thing, we use this statement that says this. It says, Seacoast exists to help people discover life in Jesus and learn to follow him. Seacoast exists to help people discover life in Jesus and learn to follow him. We used to say it, bringing life to people and glory to God. This is actually the same thing, but when I ask some of my non-Christian friends, what do you think it means to bring life to people and glory to God? They just looked at me, deer in the headlights said, um, I don't know, go to church? <laughs> and so we thought, well, we want a purpose that we all understand a little clearly. This is the same thing. So we want to be a church that helps people discover life in Christ. And we want to be a church that helps people learn to follow Jesus. Now, you might say to me, um, Ryan, I, that doesn't apply to me because I've already discovered life in Christ and I'm learning to follow him, so do I not fit with your purpose? Let me explain a little more. We believe that this applies to every single one of us. What do we mean by discover life in Christ? For some, it is people, we want to be a church that's reaching the lost and wandering. 
We want to be a church that's reaching out to those that maybe wandered from the faith and are returning home. I believe in our community, that represents a lot of people who are already open to faith, but they've wandered away. So, and also, there's a lot of people who maybe for the first time need to discover life in Christ. We want to be about that. Now, we believe, though, it extends beyond that decision point. See, discovering life in Christ happens every step of our journey of following Jesus. I'm discovering what life in Christ looks like now that I have kids getting ready to almost get into this college phase of life. It's a new phase. I know how to, to help my kid who's nine discover life in Christ, but now with someone who's entering senior year and thinking, sending him off, I need to figure out what does it mean now as a dad who's helping my kids discover life in Christ in this phase. It's new territory for me. Some of you have been followers of Jesus for 10, 20, 30. There's some in here who've been followers of Jesus for like 70 years. You're discovering what life in Christ looks like in this stage of your faith. Some of you have had the misfortune of having to say goodbye to a spouse that you've loved and been married to. You had to discover life in Christ in that new reality. What does that look like? But here's the great thing about it. You now can help someone else who's entering that phase of their life. You can help them learn to follow Jesus as they enter that phase of their life. You see, we all have a role in this. We're learning, we're discovering life in Christ, and we're teaching others, teach one another, teach helping others learn to follow Jesus in those phases. Does this make sense? Some of you have been married for 50 years. You've been at that point where you said, I don't know if our marriage is going to make it another day. You've been through those dark moments where you got to that point where you said, we never thought we'd be here, but we're here and we don't think we're going to make it. And you had to discover what it meant to follow Jesus in those moments when you, had to, you felt like giving up. And you made it through and here you are and there's a bunch of people who are in their 30s and 40s and some in their 50s who are now entering those dark phases and saying, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can hang on. We need you who've been through the storm to help us discover life in Christ in that moment. Young people, we need you to help us older people understand the world we live in now. See, I know what it means to follow Christ in 1993. I know when Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Soundgarden are cool. I know what it means to follow Christ in those days. And I know some of you understand what I'm saying, right? Yeah, you're right there with me. And I know some of you others are like, oh, Pearl Jam, you guys are of the devil. I know, I get it. I know Beatles were holy, but yeah, okay. <laughs> Young people, we need your passion. We need your vision. We need your fire. We need your voices to speak into our voices to help us understand what it means to follow Jesus in a reality that's very different than the world I used to live in. We need you. Help us learn to follow Christ. You see, this purpose fits all of us. This purpose fits all of us. You can think of it this way. We want people to discover life and learn to follow. You don't have to memorize it, but discover life Learn to follow. That's what we're about. Now you say, Ryan, is this in, in, in the Bible anywhere? Um, other than everywhere, Matthew 28, <laughs> Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20 is a very good spot to look. Jesus says this, 
Go therefore into all the world. Make disciples of all the nations. What does that mean? Help people discover life in Christ. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Church, you want to know what your purpose is? Help people discover life in Christ and learn to follow Him. And oh, by the way, you're not alone. We have the Creator of the universe walking with us. Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So this is what we want to be about. Helping people discover life and learning to follow Him. Now you might say, okay, does this mean we're going to add a bunch of programs? Are we going to change the way we do church? No, we, we want to continue to be a simple church. We get it. You and I live busy lives. You and I are pulled in many directions. And we've, always, we've surrounded around three statements or three things. You don't have to memorize these either, but you've heard them. And we'll continue to do those. If they say, well, what do you ask us to do? Well, we say encounter God, connect with others, and go and serve. That's the type of church we want to be. And as we encounter God, connect with others, and go and serve, we believe that's how we help people discover life. That's how we discover life in Christ. That's how we teach others to follow Him. That's how we learn to follow Him. Those things. And everything we do needs to fit with this. That pushes us to being a church that's helping people discover life. So this morning what I want to do is we're going to take the next hour to talk about... We're going to talk about encountering God because if this has just been intro now and now it's time for the sermon. So, <laughs> oh no, 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 that's all right. So encountering God is what we're going to talk about today. And why, do we, why are we a church that wants to focus on being people who encounter God? How does that help us learn to follow Him? How does that help us walk by the tray of cookies that's going to distract us from our purpose? of what God has called us to. What does encountering God have to do with it? So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Isaiah chapter 6. Now if you want to find Isaiah and you have a Bible, a printed Bible, just open up almost directly in the middle and you're probably in the book of Isaiah. Or you can use the page marker that I put in here earlier today. So (laughs) Isaiah chapter 6. And starting in verse 1 of chapter 6, we have a story of Isaiah the prophet who encountered, had an encounter with God. And we're going to look at why is this important to us. It says this, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold trembled at the voice of Him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then the seraphim flew to me, and with a burning coal in his hand, he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, I don't know about you, but this is a pretty crazy encounter with God. (laughs) 
And this starts off, and it's a vision. It's a dream. This is something that in the ancient world, uh, they believed that God could in, in speak to them and they could encounter God in dreams from time to time. So Isaiah's having this vision or this dream or something where he's having this encounter, a very personal encounter with God. And in this encounter, I believe that it gives us some ideas of why we want to be a church that we're actively seeking to encounter God. Now, our encounters probably won't look much like this one right here. I don't know about you, but I have not had this personal experience yet. (laughs) But Isaiah has this vision and he sees God. And the first thing that we see here in these pages is that I believe that when we're a church that's encountering God, it helps us helps give us perspective in life. When we encounter God, it helps give us perspective. Why as a church do we think focusing on encountering God will help us discover life in Christ, help us to learn to follow Him? It's because it gives us perspective. You see, what we see here with Isaiah is when he encounters God, he says, I see the Lord high and lofty. He's seated on a throne, which means He's king. He's in the temple, which means He's God, He's divine. It says the train of his robe fills the temple. And this is an idea of the train was, you know, the the back of the robe of the king and they would have this embroidered writing in gold and and purple around the hem of the robe and that indicated his deity and his um, kingship and his dominion. And Isaiah says the train of the robe filled the entire temple. It could not be contained in the space that was given. It was completely filling the space. In other words, there is no containing God's might and his kingship and his divinity. He is supreme. God is the imagery that we're seeing here. So Isaiah sees how big and high and lifted up God is. And then it says these seraphim, which is kind of a confusing word in Scripture. It's only used really twice. But there's some sort of angelic being. It really doesn't matter what these angelic beings were or what they looked like, okay? Let me just tell you, I think it was terrifying. (laughs) I think if you saw these somewhat, they're kind of described as fiery serpents, is really to use the Hebrew word. It's some sort of dragon-type image. Now, again, don't get caught up in that, except for get caught up in, these are not creatures you just want to be like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to hang one of those on my Christmas tree. I'm going to put a seraphim on the top, and just people will come in and be like, this is such a nice Christmas. Look at that. What's that dragon fiery thing with six wings on your tree? Oh, it's an angel. Um, They're terrifying creatures up there. And it says with two wings they're covering their face. And that, that's sim- symbolic of humility. Of saying, I do not deserve to be seen by the presence of who I'm with right now. It's humility. With two they covered their feet. In the ancient world that was a symbol of saying, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. And with two wings they flew. And scholars have no idea what that symbolizes. But I think it means so they could fly. <laughs> And so he sees these creatures and they're calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. His, and the word for glory is weight. His presence is felt in every corner of the earth. The whole earth. You can't go anywhere 
that you don't sense the presence of God. Paul was writing in the New Testament and said, nobody's without excuse because nature itself declares the glories of God. You may not know the name of God, but every culture throughout the world has said, there's got to be something more to this. See, God's weight is felt throughout the earth. They declare that and say the whole earth is filled with His glory. Now check this out. The foundations of the thresholds, they shake. God's presence was in the place. It's filling with smoke, representing His, His presence, His glory. And look at Isaiah's response. Woe is me, for I am ruined. You see, when we encounter God, we gain perspective pretty quickly. When we truly encounter God, we understand how holy He is and how far we fall short. When we truly encounter God, we see how good He is and how much we need His grace. When we truly encounter God, we see how big He is and how weak we really are. That's why as a church, we want to be people who are regularly encountering God. And we do that together on Sunday mornings. But we also want to do that throughout the week as we engage in Scripture. We want to learn about our God. The more we see how big He is, the more we realize how much we need Him. We gain perspective. Isaiah gained perspective here. C.S. Lewis says it this way. I have it on the screen for you. He says, The real test in being of the presence of God is this, that you either forget about yourself altogether, or two, you see yourself as a small and dirty object. Then he said, It is better to forget about yourself altogether. You see, when we're in the presence of God, when we truly are encountering Him, we tend to forget about ourselves altogether. We tend to think, well, God, maybe if you're so big, some of the things that I'm dwelling on and focusing on and worried about aren't that big of a deal. I always laughed. I was in youth ministry for many years, and, and we'd always talk about, when you get to heaven, what do you think you do? And Students would say, well, I want to ask God this. And they, we'd have all kinds of big questions, right? Like, God, yeah, what's up with the dinosaurs? That's like, everyone says, that's my first question. First thing I want to know. Some people were like, God, seriously, why did I get a pimple on picture day in eighth grade? Why, what was up with that? <laughs> we always have these questions, right? But I think when we're in the presence of God, you're not going to care what Nicky Johnson thought about you with a zit on your nose. <laughs> if that were ever to happen. <laughs> To anyone. See, presence of God gives us perspective. We start to realize maybe we aren't God. We start to realize maybe it doesn't have to be all about us. We start to realize maybe there is a bigger story. We start to realize that we can live for something bigger than our day-to-day routines. See, the presence of God gives us perspective. Here's Isaiah. I think he's one of the most godly people in Scripture. He's a prophet of God. He's faithful. His response was, woe is me. And so the next thing I think when we encounter God, why we care about that, is because it helps us understand the good news. Because understanding the good news is first of all understanding the bad news. And the bad news is, we're not good enough to ever measure up to this God. We'll never get to where He needs us to be. That's the bad news. Humanity cannot be good enough for God. And the good news is, though, we don't have to be because he stands in our place. See, Isaiah says, woe is me. That's his response. In Hebrew, the word woe is oi. Anyone who knows any Yiddish, there you go. Oi. (laughs) Oi, Lee. Woe is me. You guys want to learn some Hebrew this morning? Let's say it. Oi, Lee. 
you're like fluent already. All right? When you're encountering God, that's all you need to know. Oi, woe is me. Because what I see when I'm in your presence, I know that I can't measure up to this. But the good news is, I don't have to. I don't have to. Because God's going to measure up for me in the person of Jesus Christ. He's going to stand in my place. Look at this. Look at the response. Isaiah says, I'm a person of unclean lips, which is symbolic for saying, I'm, I'm sinful. Out of your mouth flows the act, attitudes of your heart. So in the ancient world, your lips were unclean because your heart's unclean. Some of you say, that doesn't apply anymore. Can I drive with you when you're late for a meeting and you're sitting in traffic? Do the attitudes of your heart flow out? <laughs> Now, I know some of you will just be praised and say, God, we thank you for this challenge. I love you. I trust you. And I know the rest of us <laughs> will be saying, God, why are there idiots everywhere? Did you not know I was going to be late? Why are all these people, the devil again is working in my life. <laughs> the attitude of our heart flows out of our mouth often. We have unclean lips. Isaiah knows it. He just says, I'm doomed. And then the angel comes and grabs a coal, touches his lips. Again, don't try this at home. <laughs> it's a vision. <laughs> In the ancient world, that was symbolic of cleansing. And he says, your sins are taken away. Notice what Isaiah did to earn that. Notice all the work he did to get his sins taken away. Notice how hard he strove and fought to get those sins taken away there. You see it? Oh yeah, he didn't do anything. Because when you encounter God, you realize the good news is that you couldn't do enough. We need God to step in and do it for us. All Isaiah said is, oops, I'm done. And God said, I got you. We're going to take your sin away. You know why? Because you're not good, but I am. You're not able, but I am able. You're weak, but I'm powerful. So we encounter God, we begin to understand the good news. And the last thing is this, encountering God, why, why we care about this is because it compels us to respond. Let's look back at Isaiah chapter 6. Now let's look at verse 8. Isaiah is speaking and it says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. A famous passage in Scripture. It's a peculiar one, if you ask me. Isaiah had this moment, and then we have this picture, this um, look into this conversation that God is having. And notice there's some Trinitarian language here, by the way. God is speaking. You have Father, Son, Holy Spirit speaking and saying, who are we going to send? It's plural. Who's going to go for us? Who is sending? Now, I don't believe in this case that Isaiah was sitting there looking in on their business meeting, their staff meeting, Saying like, wow, they really, I, I should interrupt this and let them know, I'm willing. I think they're having this conversation for his sake because the answer was already in their mind. Isaiah, the reason we're letting you see us, the reason we took your sin away, the reason we haven't squashed you and killed you now is because we've got a plan for you. And the plan for you is we're going to send you, you're going, we want you to say it. It's kind of like as a parent, when I go downstairs and say helpful things like, who left their plate down here and didn't put it away? Who is going to put this away? I'm trying to just be biblical, you know? And they're like, Dad, if it bothers you, why don't you do it? I'm like, oh, seriously? 
<laughs> so God's saying, basically, Isaiah, we've got a plan. What do you think? And he says, here I am, send me, because we believe when we encounter God, we're compelled to respond. How can we learn and grow in our faith with Jesus? How can we learn more about how he cares about others? How can we learn about his compassion and his grace and his mercy and sit back and say, that's great, I'm glad I get it. I don't really care if anyone else does. See, when we encounter God, we're compelled to respond. We're compelled to say if the purpose of our reason for existing as followers of Jesus is to help people discover life and learn to follow him, I'm in. What else can I do? I'm ruined anyway. I'm in. Now I know when some of you hear that, you think, yeah, but I don't like, I don't know where that always leads. I don't know what that's going to mean for me. There's uncertainty. I get that. This, uh, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was sharing with you and I said, you know, I'm not one of those preachers who likes plane rides for the, for the purpose of being able to preach to someone. You know, I, I told you, when I get on a plane, I like to put on my headphones and grab a book and ignore the person next to me for 5 to 15 hours. I don't care where I'm flying. It's like, I don't want to talk to you. I want to, it's my space, my zone. I'm not, it's not an evangelistic opportunity for me. <laughs> so God thought it would be funny if he said, well, we're going to change that up a little. <laughs> and so, flying up to Seattle, I sat next to someone, and I can't believe what I did, but I, may, I actually said, so are you going home or on vacation? Big mistake. Why would I even start a conversation? Seriously? I had a book and everything. And she, she had longer hair, so she pulls her headphones out. She was trying to ignore me. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 put them back in. I'm going to put mine in and ignore you too. So we're good. If you're, if you're good with it, I'm good with it. And she said, no, 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 that's fine. I'm like, no, seriously. Let's listen to music. <laughs> and we started talking, and, and uh, I couldn't believe that it ended up being for two hours straight we talked. And eventually, the conversation turned to politics, because why not? <laughs> <laughs> And she said, you know, this most recent presidential election, she said, my partner and I just feel absolutely devastated by this. And we feel like we don't have any hope. We've lost friendships over this because we just don't know how to respond to people anymore. And this is the hardest thing that's ever happened in our lives. I was thinking, really? I didn't say that. (laughs) But I had a great opportunity because it was Christmas Day and I just preached a sermon on Christmas Eve, so I already had it fresh in my mind. And... (laughs) So I kind of told her, <laughs> you know, Christmas is, we, we just celebrated as a church because she asked me what I did, so I had to tell her. I tried like saying like, well, I, I teach people. Where? <clears throat> church. Uh, <laughs> so she found out as a pastor, so, so I just said, you know, okay, so we just had Christmas Eve services, and here's the thing. We celebrated that Christmas represents that God came down. And he came among us. And the reason he did is because we need hope. And as soon as we put our hope in Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, as soon as we put our hope in the Democrats or Republicans, as soon as we put our hope in any human organization, we're going to be let down and fall short. That's why we hope in Jesus Christ who came to be with us because he knows we have no other way. And then by like two minutes in, I'm just going, can I get an amen up there in 13C? (laughs) We're going to pass the offering plate around. Let's go. Seriously, my wife looked over at me afterwards. She goes, you were totally preaching. I'm like, well, 
You could take the preacher out of the church, but you know, can't take the church out of the preacher. Okay, so, but I got to a point. <laughs> I asked her to take notes and everything. It was fine. <laughs> so you might want to write this one down. <laughs> and I just said, you know, Christmas reminds us that when we really want hope, you'll never find it in mankind. But when we hope in God who created us all and who sees everything, who knows the end, we can find hope. There's more to this world. And with tears in her eyes, she looked at me and said, I've never heard that perspective ever before. And uh, we're going to get together. She lives down here in San Diego. We're going to get together hopefully in the next week or two. She and her partner are going to hang out with my wife and I. But the, yeah, it's cool. It's a good story, but here's the thing. When I started talking, I didn't know what was going to happen. And God looks at me and he says, you don't have to know because, Ryan, if you think your words can change someone's life, you're wrong. See, I was a youth pastor for many years, and I look at a bunch of students that I think I probably screwed up somewhere along the way. And I think I, think I said some things that at some point they went, um, I'm out of here. I don't know. There's probably weeks when you leave here and say, let's go look for a new church, maybe. And I start thinking that my words have the power to change someone's eternity, but they don't. Only God does. But he, he has a power to change me when I step out. You see, when we encounter God, we need to respond, and there is no certainty of what will happen. Barry Corey, the president of Biola University, says this. Have it for you because I think it's worth seeing. The antidote to uncertainty is not certainty, it's confidence. You see, the word confidence means with faith. So when you step out and follow God and we encounter Him and are compelled to respond, we respond with faith, not certainty. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen with my retirement. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. I don't know what's going to happen with our, the new presidential election or term. I don't know. But I can walk and follow God with confidence, not certainty. Why do we want to be a church that's encountering God? These are why. We gain perspective. We understand the good news. And we're compelled to respond. And ask the worship team to make their way back up. And the question for us really is this, is how will we respond this year? How will we encounter God this year? I want to give you one challenge. It's a simple one. We send out a thing called Daily Encounters. Five days a week, we have reading planned for you. Usually we have a bunch of, comp- not complicated, but a d- bunch of questions to help you work through it. We're going to simplify it between now and Easter. I'm going to challenge all of us to read through the Gospels. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, between now and Easter. It works out to about six chapters a week. If you fall behind, that's all right. You can make that up pretty quickly. Can we be as a church say, we're going to encounter God because we want to get to know him more. So we're going to study the life of Jesus together. Simply just reading one or two chapters a day between now and Easter. It's a challenge. Let's respond first by saying, we want to be a church who's encountering you, God. And then let's respond. So we're encounter God daily lives and encounter God together on Sundays in your groups throughout the week. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you. We thank you that, Lord, when we stand in your presence, our best response is, we are ruined. 
There's nothing we can do to make ourselves holy enough, good enough, loving enough. We're ruined. But we thank you that, God, when we encounter you, what we learn is that you stand in our place so we don't have to be ruined. And Lord, as you've called us as a church to discover life in you and to help others discover that life, Lord, we know that it's going to be your work in and through and around us, in spite of us, despite us. So Lord God, now as we end our time and respond to you, would you help us see you in new ways? That we can encounter you and discover what life in Jesus looks like. I give you this time.